Amen. Amen. Well, let's take a moment and pray and ask for God's blessing over the service. Heavenly Father, I truly humble myself before you, and I recognize that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people what they need here today now. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to Matthew 26. We're going to continue in our series on a house of worship. I'm talking, continuing on from last week. We talked about a picture of worship. And I want to continue to talk about the power that is in worship and use biblical examples and some of the transition that I feel the Holy Spirit has for us in this season. My text is Matthew 26, and uh, we started off with one of the most beautiful pictures of worship found in the Bible is that of a lady named Mary, Mary of Bethany. And uh, it, we see her heart of worship, her acts of worship, and something that I believe that must be instilled, and my desire is that it, that passion be instilled on our lives if we want to make Church for the Harvest or continue to have it, a church, a house of worship. Could you say amen to that? And so Matthew 26, I'm going to read. This is important. The Bible says, A woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for a burial. Truly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the world, the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in her memory, in which we are 2,000 years later talking about this same incident. Amen? And so I kind of started off the service last week about the importance of the songs that we sing, that they'll be worshipful songs. And, and I so appreciate the body of Christ and the new songs that come out there. And we talked about a term uh, songs of deliverance and how a lot of the songs, especially over the last 10, 15 years that have come out have been very powerful. Uh, the, and a lot of it is focused inward in what the Lord can do in our life. And how many know those are powerful uh, songs and being ministered to? But also, we need not forget there are songs of worship that are, if I could say it this way, transcendent. They're supernatural. They're about the almighty God, the, the transcendent one, the, the, the mighty one. And, and um, I just feel the need to begin to incorporate that more and more in our worship service. How many hear what I'm saying? Say amen. Not in some legalistic way. And Pastor Mike said he's getting rid of, no, I'm not, because those songs have ministered to me and they've been powerful. But there are songs uh, that we want to create space where God can move, where he's drawn Watch this, to the praises of his people. Did you hear that? That God is drawn to an atmosphere of worship in praise. He's drawn to that. 
And so we are creating an atmosphere. And we talked about who this Mary was and Mary of Bethany and, and uh, how she approached Jesus. Jesus, And uh, she brought this alabaster box. And I think in, in the Gospel of John, it says Judas was the one that was indignant figures. He kept a treasury. He was always thinking about money on his mind. And, but here's the thing I want you to see. Mary, she did not bring the least. She brought her absolute best and most expensive item to pour over a more than worthy Savior. Can you say amen? You know, the Bible says when we come to church, we are to bring our best. We are to bring the best version of us when we come. Now, a lot of Sundays, how many of you know that that is difficult? Because some of you may have fought with your spouse on the way to church this morning. <clears throat> just keep looking straight forward and just smile and say amen. And a lot of times, you know, we, we come to church and we just think, we feel like lions and bears have been pursuing us and we get to the church and all we can and the kids are back there and we sit down and it's like, feed me, Seymour, you know, feed me. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and I get that, I get that. Uh, just think of having to be the preacher every Sunday. <laughs> and if you had a bad or difficult week or a day or a morning or whatever and you still have to minister. But she brought her best, and there's, a, there's some things I want to touch on here this morning about how and why in her posture the way it was. You know, in 1 Peter 5, 5, the Bible says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. And so when we come to the Lord and we come, there should be a posture of one of being clothed in humility and authenticity. Can you say amen? And so she believed and obeyed the Holy Spirit, and she anointed, based upon her obedience, before Jesus' death and burial. And I want to just say this as kind of a quote, and I'll revisit this here in a moment, but God will sometimes ask us to sacrifice in order to obey him. And I have a few biblical examples that I'll share with you in a moment. And it's not always easy at times, but it's worth it. And the risk is nothing in comparison to the word. I think of a, a situation where the prophet Samuel said to King Saul, Saul, who was king at that time in the Old Testament, he turned his back on God in his heart. Let me say that again. Saul turned his back on God in his heart. In the outward appearance, it would look that Saul was doing the right thing, keeping the sheep alive, keeping the best of the fatted cattle when he was told to destroy everything. But in the inside, his heart was turned away from the Lord and was turned away from God. And he actually resisted God's will in his life, which Samuel talks about rebellion and witchcraft and idolatry. In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel says, does the Lord really want sacrifices and offerings? No, he doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't need them, but he wants you to obey him. He wants us to obey him. Why? Because that's our wills. We want our wills in line with God's will because that's where the most joy resides, amen? So he's not saying sacrifices are worthless. We see here, we're reading about this sacrifice, the sacrifice of Mary of Bethany. And so God is after our obedience in our heart. How many see that say amen? And so Mary's teaching us that we are to give our whole hearts and, and our whole lives. And, and as we read the scripture last week, that we pick up our crosses daily and follow Jesus, not dredgingly, but with joy, with joy that is set before us. And so very quickly, uh, what did Mary do in worship that pleased the heart of Jesus, pleased the heart of Jesus? Last week, I'll just quickly touch on this, that she came with preparation. In other words, she prepared beforehand. 
She prepared beforehand. So too when we come to worship with that posture. For her to come to Jesus in such a manner, how many know that her thoughts must have been preoccupied by Jesus? She didn't just kind of leave the house when she's like, I got to bring something there. Oh, I got to think of, you know what, we got an appointment, so-and-so, we got this happening. Oh, we're meeting so-and-so for lunch, whatever. And oh, you know, tonight is movie night. You know, she came prepared and focused on God. I want you to think about that. She was preoccupied with Jesus. I'm going to the house of the Lord. I'm going to the house. I'm going to meet the Savior. She was preoccupied. So too when we come to church to worship God, to give, not to get. Our thoughts and our attitude should be one of sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now watch this. For believers, we don't come to church as spectators to watch or be entertained. Can I get an amen? And not participate. You know, how many remember that ad for Heinz ketchup? Remember the, I hated that ad. Because they would tip the ketchup bottle up, and it's that narrow, they made it that way. And you had, there's a certain spot on that, you, and it, the, the, the song would be, anticipation. Remember, remember the cat? And it's not coming out. It's so frustrating. You got to stick a knife in there to get the ketchup out. And so our posture is not one when we come to church that, let's just anticipate. See what's going down here today. Pastor, he's got it. No, he's not hitting on all eight today. That's not our posture. Uh oh, I'm start, starting to wake up. You know, how many of you know you've been, ever been to a sporting event? Big sporting event? Anybody ever been to a Vikings game? <laughs> how about the Twins? <laughs> okay, I don't know. Patriots game? I don't know. Started to throw that out of me. Uh, <laughs> how many know, really, for most, unless you're doing a tailgate thing, you don't really have to prepare much, but you go showing up to anticipate, right? What? Your general attitude is, hey, entertain me, move me, show me something amazing, right? Show me that, you know, that home run, uh, that touchdown pass, and oh, that slam dunk. And, and, and that's when you go to a sporting event, but friends, that is not worship. You, you see in this. We should come prepared to give. Yes, there's also we're receiving because God is a giver. He is a giver. And we should come prepared that God will speak to us. We come confident, but not carnal. We come prepared to respond with our hearts, move to worship. And we confess our sins if needed. We come prepared to give. We receive communion together. We come prepared to edify others. That's a novel thing, amen? How, how many know that we shouldn't just come to church just to see our friends? Right? And they all, it just happens because once you get a dozen or two dozen friends for the average person, some people they have to have 200. But, you know, once you get, you know, a few dozen, it's, you know, you're saturated. You got enough people you know, hey, it's kind of like, the, you know, the sitcom Friends. They know your name when you show up. And then what happens is we forget about other people. But how many of you know our posture should be also one to edify others? To come to church and say, who, who needs ministry here today? Not in a arrogant, but someone you're in relationship to. Come on, hear what I'm saying? Or you can be an encouragement to someone and they visit. You come to minister to others. It's part of worship. It's part of worship. We know that worship doesn't stop when the singing ends or the preacher says amen. So Mary, she came prepared. And, and quickly, let me just move on. The other thing is, is I have decided. How did that just pop right up there? Maybe we can just go to the next one. There. She came with a sacrifice. She came with a sacrifice. She came, the Bible said, with a
years' wage for the people at that time. And I think about the sacrifice, and I think about, you know, at that, what she brought was about a year's salary. I don't know what people's salaries, maybe it's 30,000, 55,000, 70,000, 130,000, whatever. For this woman, it was a year's worth of work that she brought as an offering to anoint the Messiah. How many know it's not the amount, but it was valuable to her, and Jesus noticed. Do you remember the time Jesus was looking over the treasury? And it says that the rich and all those cast in large sums, nothing moved the Lord. I would imagine many of them, they gave out of their heart, and they gave because they loved the Lord. But it said Jesus sat there, and he watched. And he said, and the one woman came in, and she what, the, you know, the widow's might. She's like two pennies. And he said, that woman, he brought all the disciples together, she gave out of tremendous need. Interesting. Why? She gave with her heart. She sacrificed something that was dear to her. So once again, God will sometimes ask us to sacrifice in order to obey him. I like this story I just want to read. It's not up here on the slide, but it's in 1 Kings 17. Uh, It's the story of Elijah being fed by the ravens, and he's fed there for a period of time until the brook dries up, and then he's sent to a widow at Zarephath. And so the Bible says, and I'll just read, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay here. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Interesting. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, the Bible says a widow was there gathering sticks. So how many know that? There was a miracle for this woman. She didn't know it. God spoke to the prophet to come, and then he meets this woman, and she still doesn't know that God has a miracle for her. Hmm. So she came to the town gate, and the widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her, and he asked. Now, this thing, this is no rain for about three years, three and a half years. People are starving. People are flocking the region, and many have just died because of starvation. And he says, would you bring me a little water in a jar that I may have a drink? How many of you know water was probably as valuable as gold at that time? So in other words, he asked her, and this is what I find super amazing. And it says this, as she was going to get the water, she actually, she did it. She was going to get water. And then he goes this, this is what he says. He says, and bring me please a piece of bread. So how many have ever watched a Popeye cartoon? I used to love Popeye, you know. I didn't like spinach, so we drank pickle juice, my brothers and I, you know. And we would run around the table because I couldn't stand the spinach. But, 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 but I, you know, what does Popeye say when, you know, Brutus is kind of, you know, taking olive oil away from him, you know, his girlfriend? He says, that's all I can stands, and I can't stands it no more. That's her Popeye moment right here, verse 12. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. We're going to eat it and die. (laughs) And you, you as a minister are asking me, how could you be so callous, preacher? How could you be so cruel to ask, no, I don't have much. And you are asking, the last that I have, we're talking about sacrifice here, the last that I have, you would ask that? So cruel. That's so selfish. Can't you see I'm about to die? I mean, I have real needs. Real needs. 
What about your situation? Do you have real needs in your life? Real needs? I believe all of us at times in my life, we have real needs. But notice what Elijah says. He says this to her in verse 13. Don't be afraid. Fear has torment. When people have scarcity, they are full of fear. They're tormented. And the Bible talks about that, how when we are afraid, and, and, and God wants her to know, don't be afraid, because in fear, there's torment. And then he says this, go home and do as his, you have said. But first, make, somebody shout first. First, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. Listen to me, you may not have much, but you have something. Every single one of you has something. Oh, yeah, you, ha you have something. He didn't say, make it from the abundance of the miracle I'm about to do. No, do what you said you're going to do, but first give to God. Wow, what a story about first fruits there. He said, do as you have, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken of Elijah. Somebody say amen. Now, when I, I get up in the morning, I usually have a protein drink. So my wife has a little container or whatever nicely that I have two scoops. And every day I take two scoops out, that keeps getting lower and lower. But her jar of flour, every time she took it out, she'd put it back the next day, it would be full. Why? Because God said it'll never run dry. Every time she poured that oil, more came back. What a message about giving. What a message about not being a tight, wad, and cheap. How God can supply your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? I think you're waking up. The point is, when we come before God and worship... Do we come with an act, an attitude of sacrifice? Lord, what do you want? What do you need? What do you desire here today? Mary did. I think of a song. Uh, I'm thinking about all these old songs now. <clears throat> it's dating me. But uh, how many remember the song, We Bring the Sacrifice of Praise? Come on, if you know that song, just raise your hand. Now, the rest of you, you think, how does it go? It's very simple. It says, we bring the sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. Some of you are looking at me, yeah. Of the Lord, we bring the sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. And what is it? And we offer up to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Come on, some of you. And then we offer up to you the sacrifice of joy. The worship team will have to learn that. We'll sing it someday. But what is it? It's the sacrifice of praise. It's the sacrifice of worship. The sacrifice brings joy in our life. You say, well, how can praise and worship be a sacrifice? When you don't feel like worshiping, yet you choose to worship him, you choose to clap, you choose to sing, you choose to lift up your hands and worship. Friends, that's worship and praise. That's a sacrifice. Can you say amen? So practically speaking, when we gather, when we gather, I recognize that every Sunday may be different, and there's a, a spirit as we gather together, and some people are dealing with issues maybe of anger. Maybe there's issues of bitterness about something. Maybe there's resentful, hurtful, or fearful, or some people may feel 
guilty about something this past week. Friends, this is the time to not think about that. This is the time to focus on our Savior. This is the time where we lean in and we lift up the sacrifices of praise and worship to our God. Can you say amen? It's not the time to be thinking, focusing inward about woe unto me. I did this, that, I fell short. Repent, move on, and worship God. Did you hear that? I said, repent, move on, and worship God, and watch and see what he will do in and through your life. So a lot of times we don't feel good, or we're not in the mood, or, you know, someone that made you come to church. I remember as a kid many times, you know, get up, you're going to church. I don't want to go to church, and they make you, and, and you're frustrated. And a lot of times we come, we just go, that's it, I'm not doing anything. Amen. <laughs> I'm preaching better than you're responding. <laughs> Romans 12. Whoops, I thought I had a verse in there between the two. Maybe I don't. I have it messed up, but I'll just read Romans 12. One, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies dedicated all of yourself, dedicating all of yourself, set apart a living sacrifice. Living sacrifices, not dead, living sacrifices, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship intelligent act of worship. And so church, that cost is described as the sacrifice of self is what that verse means. So when we come before God in worship, we humbly give ourselves up to his lordship. And we proclaim, or we are proclaiming that he is worthy. He is worthy to receive all praise. He is worthy of all. We exalt him in praise. You say, well, why is that? Because he truly is worthy. Amen? He truly is. He's the alpha in the mega, the Bible says. He is the beginning and the end. And the Bible says that every knee and every tongue shall bow, and it will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that means the atheist Sam Harris someday will bow his knees and he'll say, Jesus Christ is Lord. I know I wrote books about atheism, and I know I hated God in life, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And Richard Dawkins will, will in his God delusion, sitting there in flames, will say, Jesus Christ is Lord, every knee. Every tongue will confess. Isn't it better to just to learn and do that now here on earth? To say, hallelujah. Yes, he is Lord and he is my Savior. Can you say amen? I want you to see this too. Mary, she came with a sacrifice. And, and you know what? I just thought I'd interject this. When, when you bring your tithes and your offerings in the house of the Lord and, 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 and many feeling, you know, you're really in need of a financial breakthrough like, breakthrough, like this woman who just had a little bit. That's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice, and God sees that sacrifice. Do you know that giving of your tithes is an act of worship? I believe that. Giving of your tithes is an act of worship. Yes, it is an act of obedience first. I believe that too. But when we yield to the Lord and surrender the things in our lives that are dear to us and unto the Lord, that in a sense is an act of worship. Can you say amen? That's an act of worship. You know, I think of the story and actually was looking through all the photo albums because I know somewhere I had a photo. I don't know where it's at now. About, this was back in 1978. And my dad was in the dry cleaning industry and he had, uh, you know, whenever you bring your clothes there and I was a spotter and, and had all these chemicals. This is about 14 years old I was doing this. 
And the kids were, my brothers and sisters were all involved, pressing and all that. So in dry cleaning, you bring your suit to whatever. Some people leave stuff, rings and coins or whatever. And some of that stuff's very valuable. And so they kind of hold it off and said, did anyone, is anyone missing anything? And some people say, hey, did you find this? They would get it. But a lot of times people don't even know. They don't even know. And there's no way to get it back. So he had this bag of stash. It was silver coins, there were gold coins, there were gold pins. There was all this stuff that he had in his bag, and he had it in his drawer uh, that we're really, I don't know if you could find anything in this dresser. But my mom knew about it, and I don't understand the whole reasoning behind it, but she was always nagging him about that gold or that stash that was in the dresser. It's an idol. She used that. It's an idol to you. And he's like... You know, it's, and so I, it never really registered me what, but I knew they were getting into this spat all the time. And, and, uh, and then he had, uh, he had a, a case of, uh, he had a case of actually hard liquor. I couldn't tell you what it was. It was all these glass bottles, whatever. And he never drank it, never drank it, but he had it in the porch and she was always nagging him about, why do you have that here? You know, you, 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 you know, you should get rid of that. And, and he, he would, he would not do it. Ladies, how many know that that don't work? <laughs> how many of you got to trust the Lord in those things? But you would nag him. And I remember I was always cleaning things. You know, you get out there, clean the porch. And I moved that case of liquor a hundred times to where the cardboard broke out. And we had to put it in a hard box. But I moved it, and I was like, why am I moving this? Anyhow, this, back to the coins. And so the coins, finally, she said, if it's not an idol, then throw it away. And he was like, I can throw that away easily. And so then this argument starts to ensue. And then she says, I don't think you can because it's an idol. You're trusting in the riches. And he's like, no, I'm not. And finally, in frustration, he came to a place. He said, I'm going to throw it away. Well, this was a big deal. So we went what we called down back. Down back behind our house was a pond, which they called the piggery. Why, I don't know. But it was the nastiest pond. We had crawdads, and we would build little rafts. We would try to, you know, you know, swim across it with a wooden raft or whatever. But it was a nasty pond, dark, scary creatures in there. And we were just kids. So I'm 14 years old. And how many remember moon boots? Come on. Yeah, some of them are trying to come back. But I, we had the moon boots on. And uh, <laughs> I think it was this blown plastic is all it was or whatever. It would foam. And so we had our moon boots on. It was a big deal with the puffy vests. And this was 1977, 78. And there's a picture that we took, one of those snap kind of, you know, roll ahead pictures. He's holding the coins, and he prayed, and he threw that money into the piggery. And I'm thinking, how far did that go? Where did that land? <laughs> you know, it was it's horrible. But he threw it, and something broke in his life. Totally lifted off of him. I'm not saying that's what you need to do, but my question here today is, what are you holding on to? What's holding you back? Is it things? Is it materialism? Is it the boat? Is it the, I don't know, the fish house, whatever. Whatever it may be, is it idolatry? What is, what is holding you back from full surrender and worship to God? How many with me say amen? He was set free. The power of that stronghold was broken was broken. That was a work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And you know, here's the thing. You say, why sacrifice? Jesus asked for a great sacrifice, but there's a greater joy that comes 
after the sacrifice. He talks about that in Mark chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. He talks about when you sacrifice yourself, you deny yourself, but there's a greater joy that comes when we do that. God never asks anything of us that hasn't richly pour out and bless on our life. And so we see that. So we see that Mary came, she came with a sacrifice. The other thing is she came without distraction. She came without distraction. Yes, there were others that were there in that room when she came and she entered in and she had that, that jar, that, that alabaster box, but she was not distracted by anybody. Now watch this. She didn't stop doing what she was led to do in worship out of embarrassment. Now, now I might meddle a little bit here, but just because somebody may be, you know, not, you know, doing worship the way you feel or whatever, we're not to judge them, amen? We don't know what's going on in their heart, what the Lord is doing, but regardless of that, we should not care in a sense how anyone else is acting. We're there to worship God in spirit and truth with our spirit, right? So if you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. Well, no one else is, so what? So what? Well, I'm clapping. Nobody else is clapping, unless it's some solemn song and you're clapping and you're, you know, the odd duck, all right. But you know what? I've heard people, you know, dance in the spirit that is righteous, you know, not on the stage, you know, looking at everybody trying to, you know, look at me dance. No, they're worshiping and dancing and before the Lord because they love the Lord and they're grateful of what he's done in their life. How many of us would run and dance in the spirit if God worked a real deal miracle in your life? I think this place, the chairs would come down. People would be like, oh, my God, you know what? This disease, I'm set free. That, this addiction, I'm free. You'd praise the Lord like at a Vikings game. Greater, greater than a Vikings game. Amen? <laughs> Glory to God. She, she didn't stop doing what she was doing. And she was led in worship. And she was not embarrassed. She didn't stop doing what she was led to do in worship because she was disapproved from the crowd. Looking around, they actually were condescending to her. She probably heard what Judas said and some of the others. What a waste. What a fool how you're acting. How could you lift your hands and worship? What are, what are you, radical? What's the matter with you? What are, what is, you know, what's going on with you? You know, it's sad, but, you know, most of the criticism happens to a lot of believers is sometimes, sadly, from other believers, religious people. I knew of a story of a gentleman that's not here. He's actually in another state that he was saved within our church and was water baptized, and God did a work, but he came out of a, I won't mention it, a certain denominational church, but at that time, he kept going to that denominational church and uh, good people in it, but in it, he had a circle of friends and he started, to, he started to carry his Bible. So he went back to his church after he was saved, and, and he carried his Bible to church, and they looked at him and went, you're a nut. These are his friends that he hung with before he carried the Bible. He was okay. Oh, come on, somebody. Now that he brings a Bible to church, they just say, what? They mocked him. They, his friends said, what, are you the preacher today? That's what they said. Who, are you preaching today? What, are you Mr. Super Spirit? What kind, how many know it's a need for some new friends? It's time for some new friends, amen? So that's really not a friend. Anyhow, she came without distractions. And so, are you distracted by others in your midst? And here's the thing, are we so self-conscious that we don't want to express? 
you know, I would be amazed that if, if, if there was some transparency and people talked during powerful worship times, how many people would say, you know what, I felt the Lord, he wanted me to come forward. He wanted me to kneel. He wanted me to raise my hands. You'd be amazed at what goes on in a, in a corporate setting when God is moving on people, but a lot of times we allow fear. We're embarrassed culturally. We just we want to know that we're astute. Who cares about that? Y'all, I'm going to share something with you that was extremely powerful. And I've shared in my life that I've had a handful of times of God impacting my life. But this, is, this just happened a few days ago. Like, I haven't had in many, many years. Now, I felt the Lord, and he's touched my life. But I went to go see the Jesus Revolution. How many went to see that movie? So, so I'm, now I, my wife and I are the tail end of that in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s. So we were teenagers when that outpouring happened. Those of you that are 40 and under, you can just bear with me. You could go see the movie. It actually happened. It was real. And so my dad uh, took us all, and it was probably my mom hounding, but we went in a 20-foot Winnebago with eight kids to Hershey, Pennsylvania, to Jesus 76. It was either Jesus 76 or 78. They, had a, they would have them every year. 20, 25,000 people would show up. It was like Woodstock, the Christian version. <laughs> there was clothes on people, you know what I mean? And it was all muddy. I mean, it was open fields. It was hot. And I remember we were just, you know, it, it was just, it was a tent. My dad, I could tell, just was fit to be tired. He was frustrated, and he didn't want to be there. I knew that. But they said, we're having a water baptism. I was about either 12 or 14 years old. I can't remember. Someone in there, but I do remember the moment. There was probably five or 600 people wanting to be water baptized. Very similar, like on the movie. And there was a number of people that were out there that were doing the water baptism. So here I am as a, nobody coerced me. Nobody told me you need to do this. Nobody made me, no one pushed me. I went down there and I didn't even know where my parents were. I'm lost as a 12 or 14 year old kid in a crowd of hundreds of people, but I felt God was doing. <sighs> and so I didn't, this is what happened at the theater. I, when, when he was being baptized, I was brought back to that moment as a young boy, how powerful it was and how God, I was shaking and Theodore and Taylor and Jessica there. I think they, their pastor's a nut. They probably thought I was crazy. Said they didn't see anything. My wife grabbed my hand and my, I grabbed my daughter's hand, Mariah. Where I think, Daddy, you have a heart attack. <laughs> the presence of God just came upon me. And it was so real. And I felt God in the moment said, I'm doing this again. And I'm going to do this at harvest. I'm going to bring this to church for all. came without distraction. She came. She didn't care. She didn't look around and think, who cares? 
And at that age, when I went under those waters as a young boy and came up, it was the nastiest pond you can ever, there was actually a film of dirt all over me, <laughs> all over us. And my dad was like, we got to bring them to the public pool to get them washed off because there was no showers there. But I remember lifting my hands and I just, I just walked in the mud and I just started to cry. And the presence of God was on me at 12 years old, 12 years old. The Spirit of God apprehended me, changed my life from that moment. To this day, at 58 years old, it still affects my life. God is real. His presence is real. And many of you that don't know what I'm talking about, never experience, you will. I declare harvest will be a place where you will and your children. Stand with me if you would, please. You will and your children. Your children. Last point. She came with intimacy. She came with intimacy. Her heart was broken towards the Lord. Friends, God is looking for worshipers who would worship him in spirit and in truth, the Bible says. In John 4, 23, the Bible says, but the time is coming. Indeed, is here now. And I just want to prophetically declare that, that the time is now. You know, we've been praying for decades People have been praying. God has moved in this area, but we've been praying. We've been praying for at least eight to 10 years on Saturday mornings, nine o'clock, coming here for an hour, worshiping God. And we're not quitting. We're not quitting. But you know what? There's an expectation to God to move. I said, there's an expectation for God to move. And so not only we pray, but we believe. And I believe for you in your life. I believe for your children that they will have an experience of God. It's wonderful to go to watch a movie. And my wife and I, my wife was in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting, seven years old. Her mom drove her all the way from Phoenix, all the way to Los Angeles. And she was on the fourth row, sitting there at seven years old, hearing that minister, her minister, in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting. It's great. We've experienced it. I feel very fortunate and humbled by it. But God has outpourings now. He's got outpourings now for your family. He has outpourings now of deliverance. He has outpourings of freedom for your life and your family. It's not something we can just look back and wish and say, wow, that was great then. What about us now? Light works best in darkness. It's dark in America. People are so devastated. They're broken because of COVID. They're destroyed. They're full of fear. They're still covering themselves and hiding themselves. They're full of terror. God is about to move in America. God is about to move in this church. You have to have an expectant heart. Come on, lift your hands and worship if you would as we conclude. Father, we just thank you. Lord, you are looking for those that will worship you in spirit and in truth. And so I want to challenge you here this morning. Will you make a decision today to take on that worship posture of Mary? To please the King. To please our King. Would you take such a posture to make Church for the Harvest a house of worship? A house of worship. God is looking for that. Why is he looking for that? Because he inhabits the praises of his people. He's looking for a place where people don't just show up with arms crossed, wondering, hey, I'm going to anticipate what's going to happen. No, he's looking for a people that will come, that will worship him in praise and abandonment, and he'll inhabit that place. And he'll do miracles in their midst. He'll work miracles in their midst. He'll heal people. He'll deliver people. He'll set people free from addictions. He'll touch 12-year-olds. He'll touch 40 
14-year-olds. He'll touch rebellious teenagers that don't even believe in God right now, that are angry at God. He will reach their heart. He will save them. He will transform them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to worship God. Worship God. Psalm 22, 3 says, God actually lives and dwells in our praises. Did you hear that? God lives and dwells in our praises. God, we praise you here. God, we praise you here. You live and dwell in our praises, oh God. So we worship you here in spirit and in truth with total abandonment. Lord, we say you are worthy, oh God. Lord, you touched my life back then. Lord, touch this generation. Touch them, Lord God. Pour out your spirit. You promised me, Lord, in that moment in the theater, this is what you'll do here at Harvest. I thank you, God, for even doing it now. Doing it now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's just worship. Go ahead. Go ahead there, Caitlin. So be lifted up. Come on, church. Let's, let's participate. Be lifted if you can pull up those words, let's oh, worship Jesus. him. Do you know that? Do you have that song? Do you have that song down? There's a song that I, I'm putting a lot on Caitlin. I tell you, she's amazing in this team. But it's the song, I Exalt Thee. I mean, the modern version is, is I exalt thee, I exalt thee, and it's powerful. But there are some words to it. And after it goes on, I exalt thee, says, this is actually back Peter uh, Sanchez in 1977. But it didn't become very popular until Phil Driscoll, the trumpet player. Some of you know, he's the guy that, Kenneth Copeland, he had a prophetic word, and I remember seeing this back in the 70s. He's bald, but he had hair down to the back of his neck. And he was an amazing trumpet player. Well, he came to Christ for the Nations while I was a student. This was 19, uh, let's see, uh, when, when did I go to see if 88, 89. He came, and uh, he just kind of, you know, unique in his character, but he played the trumpet, and Copeland said, when you play that trumpet, healing will come forth out of that trumpet and deliverance will come forth. And I saw this on national television, but then I met the guy. So I'm sitting on the front row in this huge auditorium at Christ of the Nations, and he sang this song, I Exalt Thee, but then he began to play with the trumpet. I came undone. It was like a wave of the presence of God flew and blew through that trumpet. I actually emailed him, asked him, he's 78. I asked him, do you still play the trumpet? We'd like to have you at harvest. <laughs> I haven't heard back, but maybe <laughs> maybe 78 is getting up there. To blow, been blowing the trumpet your whole life. But, but he said this, he wrote, as he sang this song, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord, for thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. And then he goes on to where they sing, we exalt thee. And with all we are, we have come so far to lift your name. Lift your name on high, Jesus. Because it's all about you, oh Jesus. Come on, these are good words. It's all about you. It's all about you. Oh yes, yes. And this love, this song, this praise is what we bring to you. We exalt thee. Can we just sing that? Do we have that down? We exalt thee. Come on, let's go. Come on, church, let's focus on him. 
We exalt you, O God, here. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Holy Spirit. There's a young person in here, a young man, and you've been angry and bitter and hateful at God, and you actually said, I don't even believe in God. I don't even believe in God. But the Holy Spirit is coming upon you right now. I said, the Holy Spirit is coming upon you and he is touching you. And he is touching you in such a way that now you cannot resist him no more. You cannot resist him no more. He is making himself and showing himself real to you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship. Come on, we exalt you. Yes. God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you. You may be seated as we continue to worship. We're going to receive communion. What a tremendous atmosphere to receive communion. I want to invite the ushers to come forward and help us get set up with communion. I'm going to pray with you as they, as they get set up while you're seated still. You're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I am not right with God. I do not have the assurance of salvation, or maybe that individual that you don't believe. And you say, well, I don't even believe that God exists, that God is apprehending your heart even now. He's asking you to take the step of faith, to surrender your life, watch and see what God would do. Faith is action. Faith is decision. God will meet you and show himself real to you. But you must take the step of faith. Right now, I bind every demonic force, every lying voice that would be speaking right now, and I silence that voice. And we allow the voice of the Holy Spirit to be paramount in each of our minds right now in this moment. In this moment, Holy Spirit. And those you've here, and you say, yes, I want Jesus. Let's pray together. Say with me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross 
from my sin. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. Show yourself real to me. I give you my life. Now take it. In Jesus' name. Friends, if you pray that and you believe that, you're born again. The Bible says you're saved. Hallelujah.